It's in the midst of the question asking where the tension is building that there's the highest probability that a discovery is going to be made by the person you're discipling. And that's the moment where something really deep happens inside of them. Hey friends, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called Life on Life Discipleship, where we provide you with personal coaching and equipping on your journey to taking on apprentices to multiply disciples. So to learn more about this coaching intensive, visit 1kh.org slash discipleship. And if you're interested in learning more about 1,000 Houses in general and want to check out some of our other resources, head on over to 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. So we talked about how every single person is deeply story-formed, but if that's true, if, if that's what really transforms us, then how do we use stories in such a way that they will change our life and the lives of those we're discipling? And there is one word that really describes uh, the method for how story transforms somebody's life, their heart, how it moves something inside. That one word is discovery. And this is somewhat mysterious to a lot of Western people. So I want to unpack this. When you discover a truth as opposed to it being told to you, something different happens. And stories have a unique ability to allow the reader or the listener to discover the truth on their own. And something very different happens inside of a person when they personally discover the truth that is at the heart of a story. And we know that this is true um, in just sort of basic ways that we we experience story. If you've ever read a story that you've just been engrossed in, whether it's a movie or it's a book, and a twist suddenly happens and you discover something, it's really hard to forget that. Something deep happens inside of you. Now, oftentimes in those kinds of uh, fictional stories or movies, the truth that's being unlocked may not be a deep one, Um, But what happens if the truth that's unlocked is both beautifully discovered through the story and it's an incredibly deep, life-transforming truth? That is at the heart of how transformation occurs in a human being. So let's talk a little bit about um, why this happens. Now, I think it's really important to understand in the Bible, the Bible is primarily a book of stories. And so you would think that this process of discovery through story would be very understood in the church and it would be deeply ingrained in how we teach in the Christian community. But that is not true. That is not how we teach. Primarily, we teach through a lecture and we give people what amounts to oftentimes bullet points um, of things that they ought to do, ought to believe. These are truths about God. There's not a lot of discovery happening. It's not, the way that we teach is not consistent with the way that the Bible teaches in terms of its methodology. What happened there? How did that change? 
Well, basically, the, the roots of why the Christian community does not teach in the same manner as the Bible uh, really goes back to the founding of the church uh, in the first three or 400 years of its history. What began to occur is after about uh, the, the, the second and third centuries, the, there was a huge divide that occurred in the church between Jewish believers and Roman believers, primarily those who were part of the Roman Empire, who had uh, really a Greek or what we would call today philosophically a Western way of thinking about truth. And so there was, an, there was a very active process of removing any Hebraic, any Eastern influence in the church. And so as that began to happen, what happened after Constantine declared Christianity um, to be legal and then after the next emperor, um, emperors began to formulate Christianity as the official religion of the entire Roman Empire, there began to be a different way to think about how to teach the massive population within the Roman Empire. And one of the things that began to happen is people um, were no longer able to read Scripture. So they were no longer exposed to the stories of Scripture. They were being taught directly by bishops and by priests who were official clergy members. And the way that they would articulate their faith was no longer in a story way. There was a series of uh, councils that happened to fight various heresies. These are beliefs that um, were beginning to emerge in different pockets. Now, this was very threatening to Constantine and other emperors because they saw a, 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 a group that began to believe a different form of Christianity to be um, a matter of state security that had to be stamped out. And so a bunch of what we today refer to as creeds were really published by these various councils. And these creeds were not story. They were literally bullet point by bullet point what you have to believe to not be a heretic. This went on for over a thousand years. The normal Christian could not read the stories of Scripture. Any Hebraic influence that existed in the church was systematically purged and it was replaced by a set of essentially bullet points that we had to believe to be able to survive inside of these, um, these different political structures that existed in the Middle Ages and the early modern period. And until the Reformation, and even in the Reformation, this, this was not really changed. And we are still living with the legacy of this kind of uh, way of approaching Christianity today. It's not primarily a Hebraic, story-based way of learning the faith through discovery. It's primarily being told, you must believe these things. If you don't, you're not a real Christian and you can't be a part of our community. Or in places where there are state-sponsored churches, um, there's actually a problem between you and the official government. So um, this has been incredibly destructive uh, to the way that we, we go about teaching. And we have to begin to recover the power of discovery inside and through studying stories in order for us to see those we're discipling to be transformed. So we need to, instead of um, giving them a list, a creed, a bunch of bullet points about here are the things we're going to believe, here are the things that are true about God, we want to immerse them in the scriptures themselves that are very based on stories. And even things like the epistles are really rooted inside of stories. We have the book of Acts, which is like a framework. So there's a story framework for all the epistles. And even in the letters, they're not bullet points or creeds. 
These are letters that, that are deeply relational and that inside of them you see all the elements of the story and personal relationships that are being referred to throughout and then at the end of each epistle. So every part of the Bible is really saturated with this idea of it's, it's, it's encased inside of stories as opposed to inside of, of, um, of documents that, that are just one different propositional sort of truth statement after, after another. So how do we recover this? If you want to walk somebody you're discipling through a process of discovery um, as they're studying the scriptures, what does that look like? And there's really five steps to this. Read, observe, ask, discover, and apply. And I'm gonna talk you guys through each one of these. It's really not uh, very complex, um, and it's really important to, uh, to go through these steps and to experience this with the people that you, you are discipling. So the first thing is that instead of um, preparing a message where you've done all the work, you've outlined all, the, all of the points, and then you deliver the points to the person you're discipling. You want, there to, you want to initiate a discovery process, and that just begins by simply reading the text, reading the stories, reading whatever it is you want to expose the person you're discipling to for us to begin to discover together the meaning of this. And so you read the scriptures together and, uh, and you give them an opportunity to make observations. That's the second part of the process. And so oftentimes if I'm doing this, if we read a passage, so we just read eight verses or 10 verses or however we've read a story, I would like, I was like, I'm gonna give you two or three minutes just to make observations, just like what is standing out to you. And then as they begin, they begin to drive the discussion towards a discovery moment for themselves through their observations, because things are standing out to them. They don't really know why. Hey, why is this here? What does that mean? How does this work? Wow, that was really interesting when this said that. Okay, at that point, we go from step two, observation, to step three, ask. Help them go deeper in the things they're observing. Yeah, tell me, why do you think that is? And you begin to ask open-ended questions and begin to just have a conversation with them about that. It's in the midst of the question asking where the tension is building that there's the highest probability that a discovery is gonna be made by the person you're discipling. And that's the moment where something really deep happens inside of them. They're like, whoa, I never saw that before. Wait, is, that, is it saying this? Now you didn't rob them of that opportunity to discover that by telling them what it meant or by even removing the story altogether and just telling them what to believe. You allowed them to interact directly with the text and then come up with these discoveries and that kind of deep thing is gonna happen inside of them. And then you can follow up with the final question, which is, okay, well, if that's true, if your discovery is really there in scripture, then how, how do you apply that? Like, what would somebody's life look like who really believed that? Um, anything come to mind? So read, observe, ask, discover, and apply. That's the basic way that, that you can structure a time in the word. And this is very simple. It requires almost no prep, but it does require some skill in making sure that you allow each of these steps to fully play, play them, to play out each time, to give the, the, the reading a chance, to allow people to make observations, um, to assist them in going deeper into their observations through asking. And you can, you can direct some of that. That's, if you know there's something to be discovered there, you can point, the, point something out at that point. Usually that doesn't take away their ability to discover it. It's sort of, it's sort of like a signpost to say, hey, I think there's something to be, to be discovered over there, as opposed to digging it up and handing it to them. Um, and, uh, and then that discovery is likely to take place that's gonna have a big impact on their life. Now I wanna talk about why is it that, that going through this method and having people that are studying the Bible discover things on their own, why does that have such an impact on people as opposed to just telling them the truth? 
And this is, we're hyper-Western. We just think, hey, if the truth is there, just give it to me. Just like boil it down in the simple way and just hand it to me. Um, but, th but what happens is you're really missing out in these advantages. I want to give you guys the advantages of discovery. And Eastern people tend to, tend to understand this at an intuitive level. Western people um, tend to struggle with, with really knowing this. So I want to kind of lay it out clearly. Number one, memory. When you've discovered something, it's very hard to forget. Memory is actually a really tricky thing. When somebody tells you something, when you go to a church service and somebody lectures at you for 45 minutes, how much of that are you actually going to remember? And, you know, it's, it's unlikely you'll, you'll remember very much um, unless there's one case in which you often will remember something somebody says in a sermon. And that is if you've already been trying to discover and you've, at, you've been asking this question going into the sermon, and let's say 30 minutes into the sermon, all of a sudden the preacher says something that unlocks a question that you've already been asking and you've been trying to discover, and then you have a similar experience where you feel like you've discovered something, that'll stick with you for a long time. But again, it's important to, to point out that it's the discovery that creates the memory uh, that's, that's really uh, strong. And so there's a deep connection. And so why not use that connection between memory and discovery by facilitating discovery instead of just blasting people with tons of information? The second thing is ownership. This is a really important one. When you found something in Scripture uh, and you discovered it on your own and you see it for the first time, you don't feel like you're borrowing something from somebody else. You feel like it's yours and you own it, right? When you discover something in a field and it doesn't belong to somebody else, it's yours now. And oftentimes when somebody just tells you something that they, they discovered or something that's important to them, um, you feel like you're so like, okay, this feels like a really important thing, kind of, but it doesn't feel like yours. And so because of that, you kind of lose track of it and you don't know where it fits in your life. But when you find it, for some reason, there's an ownership relationship you now have with that truth. And so six months later, six years later, when you're in a conversation with somebody and you're telling your story or telling people what influences you, you will start pulling out these discoveries um, because you feel like you own them. And they will make up a big part of how you talk and how you teach. And so it's, it's really important to, to understand that advantage. The third advantage to discovery is that it's biblical in that it's aligned with how the scriptures were actually written. The scriptures were written primarily as a vehicle for discoveries. I'm going to talk about, give you some examples. Um, and this is, again, very counterintuitive. We would not have written the Bible the way that the Bible is written. We would have written the Bible, those of us who are hyper-Western, the way that the creeds were written. And why isn't the Bible written that way? Well, because uh, the Bible really is committed to this process of discovery. It's so committed, by the way, to allowing for discovery that it's willing to allow for there to be confusion and misinterpretation in order to preserve the opportunity for discovery. The reason why we would write a bunch of creeds instead of write a bunch of stories is because we're, going, we're afraid that people will misinterpret stories and come up with their own interpretation and then go out and create their own religion. And guess what? That's exactly what happens. And that's the reason why Western people shut down uh, the, the, um, the lay people from reading the scriptures and began to tell them in bullet point form exactly what they needed to believe. Because by reading stories, you can misunderstand things. But it's important to understand that the Bible was okay with that risk. And so we need to be okay with that risk. The fourth reason is that um, discovery is highly interactive and it makes for a very engaging process. 
And so if you've ever been in a process where you just feel disengaged, like, okay, my mind is just going elsewhere. I've been listening to this person talk for 10 minutes and now I can't even think about it anymore. <laughs> I'm done. Well, that doesn't happen in a highly interactive discovery process. People tend to stay engaged for a long time. I can oftentimes initiate a two-hour Bible study in which I can expect everyone in the room to stay engaged for two hours long because I'm going to initiate a discovery process. But if I was just going to teach for two hours, I would expect that maybe people would be engaged for hopefully half that time if they have a pretty good attention span. But those attention spans today are plummeting. And so it's really important for us to engage in a process that's, that really engages people well. And the last thing is it's very reproducible. Like it's much easier for somebody who's not a teacher to initiate a discovery process with a disciple than it is for us to make it about teaching. And if we make discipleship about teaching, then the people that teach will make disciples. Um, but if we make it about discovery, then everyone can make disciples because it's very reproducible. Everyone can go through this process that I described, this five-step process, um, read, observe, ask, discover, and apply. That does not require you to be a particularly skilled teacher uh, in order to do that. Now, I've made a case that, or I've made a statement that the Bible itself is structured in such a way as to create discoveries. And I want to give you just a few examples. One example is in the Bible, there are a whole bunch of things called chiasms. Um, and these are hidden elements within uh, various Hebrew texts. The entire uh, Psalm 119 is a giant acrostic chiasm. There's a massive chiasm at the end of Isaiah. The entire, there's multiple chiasms in the book of Genesis. They're everywhere in scripture. And chiasms are essentially almost like a mathematical way of, of putting a highlighter on a particular verse. And so chiasms tend to be structured like theme A, theme A, theme B, theme B, and then theme C is the highlighted portion. Um, probably the most, one of the most famous chiasms is at the end of uh, Isaiah that highlights Isaiah 61. And this is where Jesus went when he was in the synagogue in Luke 4 uh, and Nazareth where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has given me um, the ability to, and then he, he reads Isaiah 61. And there's a giant chiasm that, that people that interpret scripture um, say, look, it points right at that, at, that, at that passage. Now, chiasms are a little tricky to find. They take a lot of work to find. Um, but again, it's like, why, why was that there? Like no Western person would write chiastically. Like we would definitely be saying, hey, here's the big deal. We would come up with some kind of way through grammar or through highlighting or through italics or do something to say it stands out. That's not, the, it's much more difficult. And, and this is another example is the parables. Jesus would just drop parables on people, would not interpret them, and he would end by saying, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, that takes discovery. Every single proverb is essentially an invitation to discover the meaning that, that's, high, that's hidden, the wisdom hidden inside of a riddle. So you have that discovery process in the book of Proverbs. If you look at the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew um, is really structured in such a way where Jesus is recapitulating what Israel went through, right? He goes down to Egypt, you know, he goes through uh, the wilderness, he's got 40 days in the wilderness, he goes through the Jordan River, he's baptized, he, he recapitulates the, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples, and he goes on and on and on and on. Joshua starts throwing out all the demons. I mean, it's like there's so much to be discovered in the literary genres that are in the Gospels themselves. All the I am statements in the book of John. I mean, I could go on and on. There's hundreds of these things to discover. Um, and they are there uh, for us to really dive into and try to understand. Um, and they're, and they're, they're, they're very, there's micro discoveries, there's macro discoveries. 
but we need to be teaching the Bible in such a way that people can have this, this process um, where they get to dis- discover things um, on, on their own. And so um, one of the things I encourage you guys to do is if, if this is new to you and you haven't um, really been discipled in this fashion yourself, I would encourage you to actually start to study the Bible like this, um, that, that when you get up in the morning to read the scriptures, that you would look for a discovery. As a, and so a lot of people just, they're fixated on, I'm just going to read the Bible and then go into my day. But really ask questions. Go through this process. Read, observe, right? Ask questions of the text, like try to understand what's going on there and see if you can find a discovery on your own. Um, that can be a really helpful way to prepare yourself for discipling and studying the Bible uh, in this fashion with those who you are discipling. Um, and I, this does not mean that teachers are not important. Because sometimes if you can get to the point in, the, in a passage where you're asking really good questions and you've formulated your own questions and you're, you're really ready to discover, at that point, teaching about that passage can really facilitate discovery. And so this is where I've gathered around me a bunch of teachers um, that are online that I use all the time. When I get to the point of needing a discovery, okay, I don't really, I've got a bunch of questions about this passage, but I don't quite know what the answers are. Um, then I will look up um, teachers who have taught on the, these passages. Uh, teachers like Tim Keller, um, Michael Heiser is great. He's got a thing called the Naked Bible Podcast. Where got, he's gone through all kinds of obscure passages, uh, and he's helped me with lots of discoveries. Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, Marty Solomon at the Bama Podcast, Rabbi David Foreman, uh, who's a Orthodox Jewish rabbi who is amazingly helpful uh, in Old Testament discovery of, of these various Hebrew elements. He's got a, a whole website called Aleph Beta, um, which is super uh, helpful for these things. The Torah class, um, Tom Bradford. There are so many that, that can help you facilitate the discovery, but you've got you to gotta do the work at the very beginning part. Read the scriptures, um, make observations, ask questions, and then begin a process of discovery, and you will begin to experience these advantages of being transformed by the discoveries you're making that now you're going to own and so you want to get very familiar with this way of studying the Bible so that you can study the Bible with, other, with others as well. So where are you at with this discovery sort of process of studying Scripture on your own? Um, have you been a part of Bible studies uh, where this method is being used? There's a, there's a Bible study that, that I lead on a regular basis, and many of us have led that use this method called the Storyform Life. And so we call this, this whole discovery process, this read, observe, ask, discover, um, a midrash, and because we're driving all of that discovery in order to make an application. Um, and so there's lots of ways of referring to uh, this process. Um, but I really want to encourage you guys, if you're, if you're going to use the power of story to transform the lives of your, uh, the people that you're discipling, then you need to facilitate discovery for them. Um, and so if you're going to try to teach the people you're discipling through the scriptures, I encourage you to use one of these discovery methods to do that. And we're going to give you guys a lot more examples of how to do this. And, and we're going to talk about both sort of the macro way of doing this, like in a, in a course like the story form life, and then the micro ways of doing this when you're studying passages, maybe in the gospels or parables. Um, but I just want to set you guys up for understanding how critical uh, this method is for seeing real heart transformation take place in, in the lives of your disciples. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a deep desire to actually make disciples in your context, but you simply don't know how, 
we'd love to invite you to apply for our coaching intensive called Life on Life Discipleship, where you're going to work through online content and receive personal coaching on this journey to making disciples that multiply. So for more information and to apply for this coaching, head over to 1kh.org slash discipleship. We'll see you for the next episode.